Hey, this is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream, Refuge Recovery, and Dharma Punks. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. I hope you're enjoying the Dharma. Together, may we create a positive change on this planet. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes. May our paths cross soon. I've been saying for the last couple of weeks and, um, about how one of my main roles I feel like as a Dharma teacher is to facilitate people getting to know each other, that uh, other meditators and to develop some, some community, some what we call Sangha. And uh, it's a little hard to meet people when you're attending a silent meditation and listening to a lecture. So this is one of the kind of half-assed ways that I've come up with, like at least introduce yourselves. And then if you come regularly, you start to see each other and remember each other's names and say hello to each other. And um, is everybody, I think everybody's back. Apologize. I hope that wasn't too painful for you folks at home being thrown into a breakout room with a bunch of strange strangers. It was awesome. Thanks, mom. <laughs> I got you. <laughs> so we'll have a period of meditation and then some uh, talk and discussion. So find a way to be upright, relax, find a posture that feels like it will be sustainable, remembering that you don't need to be comfortable to be at ease. Part of what we're Learning is to be at ease even when we're uncomfortable. So as you settle into the posture, whatever posture you choose, whether the cushion, the chair, take a moment to release any unnecessary tension in the face, releasing the brow, the jaw, allowing our eyes to be gently closed rather than squinched. And release the neck and shoulders, softening. Feel the effects of gravity pulling the shoulders away from the ears without resisting that gravity, just enough resistance to keep an upright spine. Let the rest of the body hanging loosely around the spine. One classic image that's used is that the spine is like a pole and the body is draped around that pole like a silk scarf. Softening the belly, the chest, arms hanging, relaxed by your, in your lap or on your legs.
feel the body with the body. Mindfulness is present time awareness. Bringing an attitude of friendliness or kindness, the intention to be patient, tolerant with your own body and heart and mind. Directing our mindful awareness, present time awareness, to the sensations of the breath, allowing everything else to be in the background. The sounds, the thoughts, the other sensations receding from our attention as we attempt to give our full attention to the sensations of the breath. Buddha's instructions in meditation begin with the encouragement to be mindful of the breath. He says, breathing in, one knows I breathe in. Breathing out, one knows I breathe out. So the simple focus on breathing in and out, receiving the sensations that the breath creates, becomes the anchor or the foundation to the present, the breath always coming and going. Of course, the attention doesn't stay with the breath. The 
monkey mind swings to the future, planning, fantasizing, swings to the past, remembering, resenting, recollecting. So our effort becomes to return to the breath, gently bringing the monkey mind back, the sensations of the breath over and over. Not trying to stop the thoughts from arising, but trying to ignore the thoughts as we let them arise and pass in the background and return to the sensations over and over. We each have to find a balanced effort. You don't want to become too striving or so much effort to be present that you're tense, stressed about it. Remember to soften your belly, to relax a little bit. but also not wanting to be so relaxed about it that we're indulging in our fantasies, not present at all. Our intention is to be fully present, to be alert as we investigate. We use our mind to receive the sensations, to investigate them. Contemplating what's happening right here, right now, rather than being lost in some memory or plan.
investigating the impermanent nature of the breath. And when your attention is drawn by a sound or a thought, also seeing clearly that that sound is arising and passing, that thought is passing through consciousness. Mindfulness reveals directly the reality of impermanence, constant change. And you can choose to remain with the breath as the primary object of your attention. You can expand becoming more inclusive of your whole body, opening to the emotional experience that's happening now, the senses of hearing and seeing, smelling and tasting, opening to what the mind is doing, what kind of mood is present, what kind of attitude does your mind have right now? We investigate both the process and the content, the impermanent arising and passing, making room, spacious, open awareness, so that the thoughts become like bubbles or clouds passing by. but also aware of the content. This is a plan, this is a memory. This is craving, clinging. Becoming intimate in a relationship to what's happening in our minds. Mindfulness brings us into the present, shows us what's happening moment to moment. And then the next task that we put our effort into is identifying the feeling tone, what's perceived as pleasant. What's perceived, experienced as unpleasant or painful, difficult. And how much of our experience is felt, is known, but is neither pleasant nor unpleasant.
for the last couple of minutes, letting go of the effort to sustain attention and investigate. And just again, softening your belly, your shoulders, your jaw. Just resting. Resting with as much acceptance of your mind, your body, your heart, just as it is. Resting with as much acceptance of other people, this world, just as it is. No longer fighting. No matter how righteous the battles are that we get involved in, it's important to take a break, to rest, to recharge with your own kind awareness, your own accepting attention. Before I jump into my topic, talk for tonight, any um, questions about the meditation technique, about the, this kind of uh, Buddhist mindfulness? Does it make sense? Is there any questions about how to do what we're trying to do over here? Ryan, do you have a question? You got unmuted somehow. I'll need you. Tibby, go ahead. I have a question actually from a couple of weeks ago, Noah. Um, although I just want to say the last couple of, of talks have been so revelatory to me, as revelatory as any moment since I arrived with you. So thank you. But um when I'm meditating, I've been noticing when I go to sort of investigate or observe, like anger arises, right? And I'll just go, hello, anger, right? <laughs> I'll just see it. 
And then it, I see it with sort of friendliness, like being aware and friendly. It just, it's gone, right? So I can't investigate what's going on further. So I was wondering if you would talk to me a little about um, Could people mostly hear the question about kind of when turning in meditation, turning towards anger, and when turning towards it with friendliness and saying hello, that it kind of disappears there's that image of like you know there's cockroaches and then you turn on the light and they kind of scurry under the refrigerator or you know the um when you bring the light of attention to some of our experiences it feels like well where was that i was so mad a minute ago and now that i'm bringing kind awareness to my anger my anger is like what what are you talking about like i'm not <laughs> i was just joking i'm not even <laughs> Uh, sometimes it's like that. Um, sometimes it, in my experience, and I, I'm, many of our experience, sometimes it's not like that. You turn on the anger and you're like, hello, anger. And the anger is like, I'll fucking kill you. <laughs> I'm never going to go away. I'm going to, you're going to stay mad forever. And you have every right to. <laughs> and it feels like this. Uh, I think you've probably heard me say uh, this teaching. There's a classic Buddhist story uh, about the uh, anger eating demon where there's this little demon and everybody's like, hey, get the fuck out of here. And it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. And and um, and then finally they call the Buddha and they're like, what do we do? Like this demon is just getting so big and we've been yelling at it and we've been hitting it. We've been trying to get rid of it. And he's like, oh, that's an anger eating demon. You don't get rid of it by more anger. <laughs> It grows on your anger that actually it's just what Tibby was saying is that when you meet it with kindness and you say, oh, welcome. Oh, yeah, it's okay. You're, you're welcome here. Anger has a place. It's just a, it's an emotion. You're, you're welcome to be here that it starts to shrink and it starts to shrink. Or uh, like you were saying, sometimes it just goes away, just uh, disappears when you bring that kind of kind attention to it. Um, so I don't know um, really much more what to say other than all well, of our practice is investigation and it's like if it's uh if it's there and it's sustaining then you uh investigate it and if it's gone then you just accept like okay right now it's gone it'll come back go go ahead you wanted to clarify something no you you said exactly what i said thank you that was yeah and maybe that's the teaching um, is the impermanence as i said in the meditation instruction tonight so much of what we're doing is looking for the reality that whatever is happening is impermanent it's it's arising it's passing uh, even really strong emotions and sometimes strong emotions come with that message of like i'm going to stay but they don't stay they never stay uh read something a little while ago that said even the strongest most sustaining emotion is like 90 seconds that it's actually possible impossible to stay in like pure rage for longer than 90 seconds it starts to dissipate and you have to sort of re you know make it re-arise like uh, it's uh, it's going away i want to be pissed i want to stay angry you have to cling harder you have to put effort into making it re-arise, re because it by itself, it'll all pass. Um, doesn't feel like that though, right? Sometimes it feels like, wow, I've been bummed out all week. And without mindful 
clarity. It feels like, oh no, this has like been lasting and actually it's been arising and passing and re-arising and repassing and re-arising and re it's uh, repetitive, but not sustaining. Okay, well, I'm gonna ask you a questions and then I'm gonna give a talk. Um, my, my question is, and the context of this is, is that the Buddha said, um, is it the, the prerequisite to change, to transformation, to awakening, like, uh, if you want to wake up, if you want to get free, you want to have a, a transformation. Uh, the, the first thing you have to have is some confidence or some faith. And uh, maybe the term faith is, a lot of us have been sort of traumatized by the term faith, where because they kind of grew up in situations where faith meant that you were supposed to believe something that didn't make sense and uh blind faith of like you know believe this thing that's totally not true but fucking believe it or else and so faith i think for a lot of us doesn't really um i don't i don't love the term faith but in this context it's uh i i prefer the term con uh confidence like how much confidence do you have in this path right? You're at a Buddhist meditation center, taking a Buddhist meditation class. How much confidence do you have that the Buddhist path works? Now, some of you are brand new and you're just like, I don't fucking know. I'm just coming and checking this out for the first time. And I'm not sure yet because I, you know, and, and I encourage a healthy skepticism, like don't have blind faith. Don't, you know, uh, believe everything that I say or that any, you know, anybody says, the kind of confidence, the kind of faith is the verified faith, is that I've been studying, I've been contemplating, I've been practicing, I've been directly experiencing the benefits. Um, to really have faith, I feel like you have to have been doing this for some time, maybe some years, um, to really, for, for our faith, for our confidence to be based in direct experience rather than it just sounding like a good idea. <laughs> just sounding like a hopeful uh, uh, philosophy or, or, or path. So uh, I want you to actually think about your faith in Buddhism, in the Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Path, this like uh, the, the big promise, which is uh, nirvana, awakening, freedom from suffering is available to everyone in this lifetime. Every, the, the human beings, you know, Buddhism is really this humanist psychology that says, hey, your mind's creating all of this suffering. And if you train your mind, you don't got to suffer anymore. But you got to do that work and train your mind and become mindful and change your relationship to pleasure and pain and self-centeredness, and then you won't suffer so much. Simple. <laughs> Easy to believe in on some level, but also it's like this really high, like, is it actually possible for human beings to have such a radical shift in our relationship to our own minds and our relationship to each other and our relationship to 
this world of greed and hatred and delusion to really embody a way of walking through sense pleasures without clinging to them, walking through pain without hating it, having compassion for it. Um, many of us have directly experienced like, yep, I'm getting better and better at non-attachment over the years of meditation. I'm getting better and better at meeting pain with compassion and forgiveness. And so you have a verified level of faith that you know it works because you're experiencing. In the beginning, you're kind of like, well, I don't know, I hope it fucking works. <laughs> Maybe you don't have a lot of faith, but you have hope. <laughs> you have like, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'll try it. Um, does my question make sense? And I actually want you to think about your faith in meditation and the Buddhist teachings and on a scale of one to 10. Now to give yourself a 10, in the Buddhist realm, I think you have to be all the way on the like, um, the teachings on reincarnation are for sure true, right? Because this is a, it's a central teaching in Buddhism is that we're not just in this one lifetime, we're in a cycle of rebirth. So you can set that aside. A lot of us Western, you know, rational, um, secular kind of Buddhist minded people say like, I'm in with Buddhism all the way up until reincarnation, and then I'm not sure. So if you're on that, I think you can give yourself like a nine. <laughs> I don't think you can give yourself a 10, but dismiss one of the core tenets of the Buddha's teachings, which is you're going to keep coming back. <laughs> uh, if you don't get it right this time, you're going to get another shot next time. Don't worry about it. Um, So where's your faith around how much, and maybe, maybe it's two levels. I feel like there's one, one is, do you think Buddhism works? If it was really done appropriately, daily meditation, retreats, renunciation, you practice the five precepts, you, you know, you study, you show up, you participate in community, you do all of the things. Do you think that would work? for someone else, if they did all of the things. Do you know what I mean by this question? Of, of one is like, do you think it works? And then there's this other, do I think I can do it, right? There's the faith in the path and then there's that self-confidence that, that uh, can I do this? Okay, Buddhism makes sense. Four truths, eightfold path, non-attachment, compassion. Okay, that sounds like that could work, theoretically. <laughs> but can I do it? And so looking at both of those in your own mind, how much faith do you have in the path? Confidence. And then how much confidence do you have in your own ability to fully experience it? And uh, are they the same number? One to 10. How much faith in the path? Give yourself a grade eight, nine, maybe some of you are going to give yourselves 10. I can't give myself a 10, uh, but I, I give myself a nine because uh, I'm a little agnostic about reincarnation. Um, I've, I'm, I kind of land in the probably, but I can't land in the like, yeah, 100%, that's true. Um, so I'll give myself a nine. And then, um, uh, you know, how about 
my own ability, your own ability to do it, your, your, uh, your interest, your willingness, like, uh, where are you? One, you know, one to 10. And you can give yourself a 10 on effort, I mean, on, on, on faith in your own ability. Even if you don't believe in reincarnation of like, whether that's true or not, I can fucking do this. <laughs> uh, I'm willing to do this. I believe that I could experience whatever there is to be experienced. However much freedom is available, I believe I could get there if I did the work. Are they the same number for you? Or are they a little bit different? It's a little... So, and here's what I actually want to talk about tonight. This, that's, the, that's the lead up. Um, is in order to really embody and experience and have the wisdom that is not so much about faith. The Buddha said, first, you have to have, you have to believe that it's possible. You have to be confident in your own ability to do it. He said, but, uh, you know, in, I learned in AA this term, faith without works is dead. That sort of, and how many people do you know, or, you know, there's all of these people that like, they know all about Buddhism. They've read all of the books. They'll argue with you about philosophy. They'll like, they, they know all of the stuff, but there's no practice. There's no embodiment because it's all theoretical. It's all faith-based rather than what meditation does and renunciation and actually uh, walking on the path, not just reading about it or talking about it, gives us a direct experience that's not theoretical, that's not just faith-based. So the Buddha says, from faith, effort. And that's my second question and part of what I'm going to talk about tonight, which is um, how much effort does it take? And how much effort are you putting in? Now, you can, we can, again, like grade ourselves on effort on some level of like, you know, you come to class once a week. I give you like a one for that. <laughs> like a one or a two. Like I, I come once, a, I meditate once a week. I come to class. I listen, you know. Um, you know, it's not zero, but you know, you get like a one or a two for like, I, I show up and I, um, but then when you start meditating every day and you get in your ass on your cushion and, um, uh, you know, maybe I, I'll give you a couple more, like a, and then we have to look at the five precepts. Are you practicing renunciation around being careful around speech, around action, around livelihood, you know, the, the rest of this eightfold path around ethics? And, you know, so you can give yourself, I don't know, like if you're really, and you don't have to practice the five precepts perfectly, but you at least try in, right? You can give yourself a couple more points for, I try to live my life along the lines of the five precepts. I try to be honest. I try to not steal or I try not to kill, you know, even insects, you know, I try to like protect life and, and um, uh, practice nonviolence. Then you can give yourself a couple more. And, um, and then uh, if it's possible, you know, when you look at your life and you say, do I put some time and energy into um, doing retreats? You know, do I, am I actually able to 
Uh, and, you know, some people are new, but if you've been a while, around for a while and you're like, I totally have a lot of faith and a lot of effort, are you um, putting some of that time and energy into like doing courses, doing retreats, doing um, intensive study practices and intensive meditation practices? And I think that, uh, you know, in my mind, I, I might have a, a low level. I was with a, um, doing a long retreat, a two-week retreat with a Burmese teacher, and we we're mostly, mostly doing loving kindness. And somebody asked him um, at one point, how much do we have to meditate to make some progress? And he's, his first answer was minimum of four hours every day. So on his scale, like to give yourself a 10, four hours of meditation every day. And I was like, fuck, I'm never going to get in line. <laughs> and then he sort of revised it. He looked around and everybody's like, oh, shit, there's no hope for us. <laughs> and he was like, well, you know, two hours or so is good. You know, sit an hour in the morning, sit an hour in the evening. He's like, less than two hours. You're just sort of backsliding into hell. <laughs> that, that was great. Easy for the monk to say, yeah. My own sense of, um, I feel like, you know, I've got a kind of a half-assed practice, but I've made a lot of, you know, I do retreats regularly. I sit regularly. I practice the precepts. I, I've stayed in this on the path. I've never had a four hour a day practice, except for when I'm on retreat, you know, I'll sit for 45 minutes, you know, like, and that feels like killer. You know, like if you're sitting for 45 minutes a day, you'll make a lot of progress over the years of your, and if you're new and you're sitting 20 minutes or 30 minutes, and then there's, you know, questions around, around the precepts. And um, do you actually try to adhere to all five precepts? And there's a lot, I think the majority um, of Buddhists that are kind of four precept Buddhists. The first four, right? Which is like, yeah, I'm a Buddhist. I try not to kill. I'm a Buddhist. I try not to uh, steal. I'm a Buddhist. I try not to lie. I'm a Buddhist. I try not to um, have sex with anybody I shouldn't be having sex with. But the fifth precept, which is I'm a Buddhist. I don't drink alcohol or take any drugs ever. People are like, yeah, not that one. <laughs> I'm a four precept Buddhist. That fifth precept is just, it's too high of a bar to not drink, to not get high, to not seek temporary false pleasure through intoxication. Um, I feel like actually our community, because so many of us are recovering addicts, uh, probably has a way, and, and because as a teacher, I'm always encouraging even if you're not in recovery, to practice the fifth precept, to stay sober uh, all of the time, not just, you know, that this is the Buddha's teaching. In support of mindfulness, you can't be buzzed and mindful at the same time. And psychedelics, however much you fucking like them, it's not a mindfulness experience. It's an altered state. And maybe there's cool things that are happening in your psychedelic journeys. Um, but it's not true wisdom because it's not seen with a, a, a clear mind. It's not, it's not actually, uh, you know, it's an, it's a, 
it's a deluded mind that's having all those amazing insights when you're tripping balls. <laughs> if you have balls. <laughs> I don't know how useful it is to do this, but some I like to do this in my own practice uh, of that kind of the scale of faith versus the scale of effort. Because often what I'll find over the years is I'll find like, I'm, I've got a lot of faith, I believe. But actually my, my, it's at a nine, but my effort's at like a six. And my actions aren't matching up with my confidence. You know, I'm not actually putting the effort into my daily practice, to my renunciation, to my retreat practice, to my service. You know, like I believe so much in doing this thing, but why am I not giving it a 10? Why is my, why am I procrastinating? Why am I uh, putting off practices? Why am I indulging in some sense pleasures that I know are sort of a dead end rather than fully engaging in a renunciation that I believe will be more beneficial than the indulgence. So interesting for each of us and to see the disparity between your faith and your effort. And effort is um, where I wanted to talk about mostly tonight, that to get to, uh, I can say nirvana, but let's just lower the bar a little bit. <laughs> and just say to get as free as possible. And that's part of the question, like how free do you wanna get? And how much work are you willing to do to get there? And knowing that it's a lot of work, that this we're born into this unfortunate setup, that life left to its own uh, uh, instincts, the human mind, the human body, it's just a setup for suffering. And to not suffer, it's a setup for suffering, you know the answer, because we're born into these bodies that crave pleasure and get attached to impermanent pleasure, and we suffer about it every day. Clinging equals suffering. And we're born into these bodies that hate pain, but we have experienced pain every day. And we don't know how to meet it with compassion and acceptance and non-identification. We're just in this instinctual drive to like, this is unpleasant, I don't wanna feel it. And so it it's, takes a lot of effort the, um, to train the mind to go against the stream. And this image of stream is so important uh, because Coming onto a path like this, a Buddhist path, isn't a go with the flow because the flow is greed, hatred, and delusion. This is a path where the Buddha said, hey, greed, hatred, and delusion are normal. You're suffering, you're normal. You hate yourself, you're normal. <laughs> you hate everyone else, you're normal. You're greedy and attached and normal. You wanna be wise? You want to be compassionate? You want to actually not suffer? Radical U-turn. 
rather than going with the clinging aversion self-centeredness norm going towards non-attachment going towards compassion going towards non-greed non-hatred non-delusion is an act of rebelling against our own instinctual drives and the stream it's this this effort i don't know if you've ever been like you ever try to swim across a river a stream with a lot of current the heavy and so how do you get across right or how do you go upstream when the current is really coming down um i i think from what i understand the best way is diagonal rather than getting right in the center of the stream and just wailing away with like all of your effort because how soon until you burn out and then you're like oh fuck, going downstream again because i put too much effort into but that if you swim across you make a little bit of upstream progress and you heard me in the meditation instruction tonight after saying rest put some effort into training your mind be mindful investigate and now rest and accept yourself as you are and now get back in swim the other one and rest get back in swim the and rest and that pretty soon if you keep the sustained effort back and forth crisscrossing at a diagonal i guess you make some effort over the days and months and decades of your practice as long as you keep getting back in and keep resting on the shore and keep getting back in and, and you don't i can't tell you how many hundreds thousands of people have come through my meditation practices over the last 20 years and hang around for a year or two and then burn out or lose interest or don't sustain their practice maybe they're off with better teachers i don't know <laughs> um, but there's something about if you really i think um i don't know what the right analogy is but understanding that it's such a long-term process that we're in that we need to have a sustainable effort we don't and so many of us addicts are so um impulsive and uh you know so, so many people in our community are recovering addicts and we can get so uh overdo everything <laughs> you know and even our spiritual practice where we'll get so into it and we'll read all of the books and i got all the sweatshirts <laughs> and and i you know and then i went on one retreat and it was hard <laughs> And so I stopped. I didn't follow through. Um, I got disillusioned. I got, you know, I, I plugged back into the matrix when I saw the immensity of the work that I had to do to free myself from my own self-centered tendencies. Um, rather than sustaining this long-term rebellion against our own mind. I was with my friend yesterday. We went surfing up in Ventura and long term, one of my old, old friends, long term friendship. And he's been kind of on and off of the path. He was in recovery for a long time, then was in relapse for a long time, did a bunch of retreats. We were roommates 20 years ago. And, 
and he's back like for the last couple of years he's back and he's sitting and and he said you know he said i feel stupid saying this to you of all people he's like but i've been meditating every day and he's like and it really works <laughs> he's like my life is just so much better like tangibly better when i'm meditating every day and i'm putting the effort in and i'm getting the results like i'm just happier i'm less reactive when i'm he's like and i, I I've, I've known this i've had faith in this for 30 years but i haven't always followed through and right now i'm following through and just you know this shit actually works well, yes duh <laughs> but there is something about getting to a place where we're putting in the effort and we make some progress and there's like plateaus in our process where you feel like, wow, this shit, I used to get a lot of inspiration, a lot of relief, a lot of insights. And now it's just like same old breath, breathing in, breathing out, planning, 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 breathing in, breathing out. And if you become so like, there's no, what's the big deal? You know, like, what's the point? I'm just seeing the same stuff and I'm used to it. And I'm, and people plateau and, and sometimes stop practicing because it's not so exciting. It's not so, doesn't feel so beneficial. I feel like there's some analogy of like, we're on this journey, this trek. And sometimes like in the beginning, you just, you know, you would look back and you're like, wow, like I've come a long way. Like I've got a view from here. I was really suffering a few months ago when I wasn't meditating and now I'm meditating and I can look back and be like, wow, it's getting better. And then kind of keep going up on the mountain, whatever the, you know, but then at some point and you're looking back and you're like, this is amazing. And then you look ahead and it's like, a, it's like the fucking death valley. It's just the desert for as far as you can see <laughs> and you know that there's like some peaks on the other side but first you have to go across this plateau you got to just keep going and there's no view and it's the same fucking sandy bullshit in every direction <laughs> and i just keep meditating and i just keep practicing the precepts and i just keep you know, and it's not beautiful and it's not fun and it's not, you know, but I want to, um, how do we keep that motivation, that effort in those periods of plateau? Now, sometimes we need to shift up our technique, you know, sometimes we need to shift up the teachers that we're listening to, look at our practice from a different perspective, but sometimes even doing all of those things, it just feels like, yep, okay, just walking across this plateau. Just keep on going. Doesn't seem like I'm getting any closer, but <laughs> just keep on going. This is my practice here. I sit every day. I come to class, not learning anything new. I'm, you know, but I'm just going to keep coming. Eventually, there are usually breakthroughs. I know in my, I've had many periods where it feels like kind of plateaued and then, and kind of, you know, trucking. And then eventually like, oh wait, there's this like oasis out here. <laughs> and there's this like big breakthrough and there's this big heartbreak that, that, you know, breaks the whole thing open or betrayal or loss or something that just uh, says, oh, I've built skills. All of those years walking across the plateau 
gave me like muscles and gave me, uh, you know, skills in order to the stamina, you know, to face anything that life throws at me. Um, so long-term sustainable effort. And a few of the things that help is, um, and you know, this is classic, the Buddha said, you know, the more you gather with the Sangha, the more inspired you'll be. If you go off on your own and you're trying to do this all by yourself, at some point you'll forget. But if you have association with teachers that inspire you, with people that inspire you, you know, we are so fucking fortunate that we have podcasts. And, you know, some of you hate podcasts, some of you love podcasts. But at this point, you can just like pick up your phone and be like, I'm going to listen to Ram Dass. I'm going to listen to Alan Watts. I'm going to listen to Cornfield. I'm going to listen to whoever, you know, Suzuki Roshi. And you can just get inspired by Ajahn Amaro, Ajahn Sumedho, Ajahn Pa, you know, all of these amazing teachers right there, Dharma talk in your phone, <laughs> thousands of them. So two levels, one is that big lifetime daily effort. How much are we sitting, ethics, precepts? Um, are we gonna go on retreats? Are we making that a regular part of our schedule, a priority in our life? And then um, there's the moment to moment effort to overcome the suffering that your mind is creating against your will. The untrained mind, I use the monkey in the meditation instructions tonight. The monkey mind, which is going to get in some fights in your mind and going to get in some fantasies in your mind and it's going to, you know, go watch some pornography and go have some resentments and, you know, the untrained mind that's just going to do whatever it feels like without your volitional involvement. Without your consent, your mind is just going to create suffering for you. Now, that's the good news and bad news. The good news is it's not actually your fault. If you can really take that in, like the fact that you, you suffer isn't your fault. It's just what it's like to be a human being. Human beings suffer all of us have minds that are fueled by craving and aversion and self-centeredness without training without effort it's hopeless there's not even a possibility of true happiness so good news is it's not your fault <laughs> bad news is 100 percent your responsibility to do something about it if you want to stop suffering you got to do all of the work yourself. There's no grace of a guru. There's no divine intervention. There's no magic pill to pop you out of the matrix. The ayahuasca doesn't work. The LSD doesn't work. None of that shit. It's all dead ends. Only training your mind through your own effort will lead to a reliable transformation. So the Buddha says, if you're down, 
you really want to do this. You got to do all of the work yourself. And he says, here's four ways to work with your mind, this mind that wants to create suffering for you, four interventions. And think of it like, does this make sense to you? I like thinking about it like this, that, that there's a part of me that's trying to intervene, a wise part of me that has the ability to intervene on the unwise part of me that's trying to hurt me by clinging, by resenting, right? That I'm not doing that on personal, on, on volitionally, on purpose, just what the mind does, but that there's this training that we have called Buddhism that gives us an intervention. Said so first, there is the effort to avoid healthy avoidance. You know, on some level, like the five precepts, healthy avoidance, avoid killing, avoid lying, right? You're going to, if you, if you kill, if you lie, if you steal, if you cheat, you're going to suffer. So stop doing that shit. Avoid those harm producing behaviors. Now, if possible, avoid um, volitionally getting involved in thought patterns that cause you suffering. I talked about this the other week about, I think we were talking about um, intention and the difference between intentional thoughts and non-intentional thoughts. So this is avoid intentionally indulging in hatred. Now you're not gonna stop your mind from hating sometimes, but there's a choice with mindfulness. Am I gonna really get hooked into this and stay in this rage and this resentment and this story about I'm right, they're wrong? Or am I gonna unhook? And so he's saying avoid indulging in that self-justified rage self-pity, all of the things that our mind does that make us suffer, avoid uh, intentionally. If you're not able to avoid sometimes what is referred to as unwholesome thoughts arising, and you're like, oh, I can't avoid it. I'm trying to, but here it is. I'm in hatred again. I'm in lust. I'm in uh, obsession. Here it is. I'm not able to avoid it. I'm in it. I'm hooked into it. I'm... And he says, well, then the effort to overcome it. And what is the effort to overcome? He says here, the meditator rouses their will to overcome the unwholesome things that have already arisen. One makes effort, stirs up their energy, and exerts their mind and strives. So turning, uh, like, okay, here it is. This is hatred. This is attachment. This is, and I'm suffering about it, of really putting the effort on, okay, how do I get, uh, get free from this? And then he goes on here. He said, there's five methods of expelling here, it's actually, this is like a translation from a German man who became a monk in Sri Lanka. And this is from 1919, translated from, and, he, and it's very sort of like early European Christian uh, terminology. He says, five methods of expelling evil thoughts from your mind. He says, number one, 
the evil and unwholesome thoughts connected with greed, hatred, and delusion, the meditator should, by means of this object, gain another object, a more wholesome object. So what he's saying here is replace it. You're in resentment, just start doing forgiveness. Your mind is saying, I fucking hate so-and-so. Just replace that I hate with, I forgive you as much as I can in this moment. Or you're in jealousy and you're in envy and just replace it. Good for you, right? Rather than staying in, you don't deserve it. I should have that. You shouldn't have that. Replace that thought. I'm happy for you. As happy as I can be in this mind. Replace the unwholesome thought with a wholesome thought. Number two, reflecting on the misery of that thought. If you're not able to replace it and it's just so strong and it's just so repetitive, then reflect on like, why am I staying in this? It's, this is miserable. This resentment is hurt. You know, I feel so powerful, but really I'm hurting myself. Uh, the, the old, I'm drinking poison at my enemies. Um, and sometimes when we wake up to, uh, that it will help us let it go. Like I'm hurting myself more than I'm hurting them. Um, some self preservation will come in. Number three, uh, pay no attention to these thoughts. So can you ignore it? It's part of what we're doing when you come back to your breath. It's maybe the core technique that I'm teaching and that we are intro point of like, ignore your dysfunctional mind, pay attention to your body, come back to your breath, disengage from the craving, the aversion, the greed, the hatred, the self-centeredness, come back to your breath over and over, ignore your mind. Now we can't do that forever. So we have to develop some of these other wise efforts. The fourth is, to consider the compound nature of these thoughts. Now, that's kind of like understanding of this thought is impermanent, this thought is based on memory, it's all of these different factors, uh, compound nature of, uh, this isn't so personal, I'm having this thought because I was born into a human body and I have a nervous system <laughs> and I have a sensitive psyche and I had a kind of a traumatic childhood, which made me extra sensitive to people. And now I take everything really personal and I think I'm an empath or whatever it is. <laughs> and reflecting on the compound nature of this self-centered suffering that I'm creating for myself right now. It's not true. It's been developed through all of these different factors and stories and ways that I'm identified with it. Now here's the best one. Because I think it's funny. He says, or if you can't do any of this and you're failing to replace it, you're failing to ignore it, you're failing to reflect on the compound nature Nothing is working, he said, or last ditch effort with teeth clenched and tongue pressed against the gums should with their mind restrain, suppress and root out these evil thoughts in doing this, these evil unwholesome thoughts of greed and hatred and delusion will dissolve and disappear. Oh, it's not here, but often 
um, might be somewhere else in here. Uh, there's the analogy in the sutta around this kind of press your teeth and just like kick that fucking thought out of your head. And they, the analogy says, just as a strong person would take a weaker person and grab them by the shoulders and throw them to the ground. <laughs> throw that evil thought out of your mind. I haven't had much success <laughs> in that level of self-will of like, hey, go away mean mind <laughs> stop it you bully i'm gonna kick your ass my mind is like an anger eating demon it's like fuck you i'm getting bigger So those are all effort to overcome. The effort to develop is a lot of what we were talking about of um, the long-term sustainable uh, development, daily meditation practice, making sure that you're sitting down, you're turning towards, that you're doing the right kind of practice too, that you're not just always doing this uh, effort to avoid, that you're actually turning towards and learning to sit with and see the impermanent and impersonal nature of, of thoughts and emotions. Um, developing the seven factors of awakening, uh, mindfulness, investigation, energy, uh, rapture, tranquility, concentration, and equanimity. And that all of what we're doing in mindfulness is developing these skills in loving kindness and compassion and forgiveness. And then the fourth effort, which is the, to maintain. Um, possessed of faith and has um, faith in the teaching um, and understanding the, the true nature of this body. This is called right effort, the effort of avoiding, overcoming, of developing and maintaining. These four great efforts have been shown by the Buddha the, um, and he who firmly, here's an interesting part, it's translated here, it says he, but they, who firmly cling to this faith, to this understanding, to this effort, um, will put an end to all suffering. There's often this question, do you have it sometimes about your own practice of like, okay, there's this whole thing about non-clinging, right? What about clinging to my practice? What about clinging to Buddhism? What about clinging to the Sangha or... Now here, attributed to the Buddha, who knows, he says, no, like, this is the right shit to cling to. Don't cling to the material things and the sensual things and the dead ends, but cling to your effort, to your meditation practice, to your liberation. Often that, that image of um, when you come to the Dharma, you're drowning in the sea of samsara. And there's a raft. It's a life raft. This shit will save your life. It will free you. It will take you to the other shore. Cling to it. Don't be super non-attached about the raft that's taking you to safety or else, you know, you'll kind of be like, oh, I'm so non-attached. I don't even meditate. <laughs> I'm so non-attached. I totally don't practice the precepts. I'm so liberated, non-attached. Uh, I haven't been to meditation group in decades. 
and knead it. So some things for your reflection um, about where you're at in, in this point, in this time. I think we have to constantly reevaluate, rebalance uh, our effort and energy and faith and confidence. Because sometimes you're like at a 10 and a 10. I believe it and I'm doing it. And sometimes you gotta, you gotta have the humility to be like, you know, I'm losing faith. I'm getting disillusioned. I'm still, and, and I think that's really beautiful when you can be at that, like I'm at like a three in faith, but I'm at a nine in practice. I feel like I'm walking across the desert and I'm not sure if it's taking me anywhere, but I'm still doing the effort because I used to believe. And just because I'm forgetting at the moment, I'm not gonna stop. I'm gonna keep going and see where it takes me. A little bit of time for questions or comments. I have 40 things in the chat. People were chatty. <laughs> Any questions, comments, clarifications? Does it make sense to you? Uh, please, Judy. So, my, so in regard, my faith would be a 10, but I truly believe even, even even the reincarnation, because I've never met anybody that's come back from that that has told me what it was. But the other steps before that have worked so well for me that I can just assume that that's, that's correct. So I do it at a 10, but there's a lot when I put, I, I do the effort, but I don't want any expectations. So I know that if I, if I do it to a, all right. I guess I don't want expectations, but what I do want to be is is happy. So it seems like I'll do the steps, whatever I'm supposed to do, but I don't want an expectation. I just want, the, I guess I've come to a conclusion I'm not going to be the next to do that. Okay, so I'm okay with that. So whatever I do, I'm going to do to the best that I can do. But I, I know I'm not going to do it 100%. Because maybe when I come back again, because I know I'm not doing this 100%, they'll get, that person will get the, the next try. But at least I'm trying as best as, as best as I can. With no expectation. What's wrong with that? I, I know the answer to this on some level, but what's wrong with expectations? Or, or uh, so like, you've been traveling a lot. Um, and do you expect to get to your destinations when you're traveling? There's always an end goal. Yeah. And you're, you've been getting there, right? Yeah, but not, not on, not on, I'm not going from A to B. I'm making my journeys throughout, throughout, and wherever I land could be a couple of months. Sure. Your timeline isn't always, we don't get to decide how quickly we get to places. Right. But if you want to go somewhere, um, it's okay to have a destination. Nirvana or, not allowed to say it. It's okay to have a goal, an expectation. And you heard me, 
maybe rather than Nirvana, as free as possible. My expect, I expect to get as free as possible. Um, I'm, and the, the reality is you'll get as free as as much effort you put in, long-term sustained. And there's no quick fix. You know, you've been practicing for years, but you made a lot of progress over the last few years of your practice. You've come a long way. That's why I could do the last step. I yeah. give it all the trust. Yeah. So it's, I think some expectation of I'll keep making progress if I keep doing this. I don't know if I'm going to get all the way to liberation, final nirvana in this lifetime, but I'm going to keep going in that direction for the rest of my life as a goal, as an expectation. I expect to get more and more free as I put in more and more effort over the moment to moment days, months, and years. Sure, I guess I was giving an expectation that I was the end goal of getting nirvana, and I wasn't, and I didn't want to do that. Yeah. Well, there's something to, you know, a lot of Buddhists do do these vows of, like, I vow to eventually attain nirvana, whether it's in this lifetime or some future lifetime. And there's something beautiful about that level of commitment of, like, I'm going to, I want to take it all the way, eventually. Any questions at home? We've got time for one. I see that there are 50 chats, but I can't sift through them. All right, anyways, where is this enough for tonight? I do want to say that, and I don't always remember to say this, but don't believe in Buddhism until you know it is true for yourself. Like reflect on it, contemplate it, uh, make sure that your faith is verified by direct experience. Keep, you know, like don't dismiss it too quickly, don't, but keep tr trying it, doing it. And then you'll know for sure, like all of this will be verified in your own direct experience. So keep that sort of openness. And it's one of the things I love about the original teachings of the Buddha is after he would say, here's the four efforts and here's the way to do it. And, and he had the ability to do what I can't do, which is he would say, and I know this is true for sure. Cause I'm a fully enlightened being. And I'm over here going like, I don't know if I could know this is what it says in the book. It's what it says in my little orange book. Um, and he would say, but don't take my word for it. Find out for yourself. It's time to do as you see fit. And it always puts the empowerment back onto the student, back onto those listening to the teachings, rather than what a lot of religions do, which is say, this is, this is the truth and you have to believe it. The Buddha is saying, like, this is the truth. You don't got to believe it. You got to find out for yourself. Class is done by donation. Against the stream is a nonprofit. We rely on your generosity. We don't charge for the Zoom groups, we don't charge to come into the room, mostly because I don't want to exclude anybody. I, I would be happy to charge people. I think this is a really worthy thing to pay for. But I want to keep a low barrier. Um, and so I don't want people to feel like, oh, I'm broke. I can't go to class tonight. I want everyone to be able to come. But it's your practice and kind of duty to give generously so that we can stay open and stay in this non um, you know, non-charging situation. Uh, and so, so please do what you can to support the nonprofit. 
we suggest a 15 or $20 donation. I think that if we were charging, we'd probably charge 20 bucks at the door like yoga classes, but I don't want to keep people out. I want to I want everyone to come in. So, so please uh, donate generously. Consider becoming a monthly supporter um, of saying uh, on our website, there's a, a little link where you can just go and say, I want to give $50 a month or $100 a month to support this continuing to exist, whether I'm attending or not. I want to pay, pass it on. And I think that's one of the most ways that I like to look at it. I'm like, we're here tonight doing this because of everybody that gave in the past. It's not, you guys aren't paying tonight's rent. Tonight's rent was paid by people that were here last week and last month and last year. And the generosity that we practice tonight pays for the people that come next week and next month and next year. And in that way, we're actually giving back to the Sangha just as, as it's been given to us. Um, so thank you. There's a link in the chat for the people online. I don't think I have um, the ability to set up the square card reader tonight. So if you have cash, you can put cash in the bowl. If you don't have cash, you could do Venmo. The Venmo is written on the thing there. Um, if you don't have cash or Venmo, maybe you could um, go online and do the uh, donation on the website. And I'll get the square reader set back up. I'm still not used to dealing with humans <laughs> in person. Still kind of Zoom land. I went pretty hard on the effort piece around retreat being part of our effort. We have a seven-day retreat, October 10th through 17th. It's open for registration in Joshua Tree in the desert. Uh, I'll be teaching that seven-day retreat. Many of you have already registered. Um, if you're going to come register, it is going to sell out. We do have limited capacity. I know that's still a few months away, but plan for it and get registered and make the time in your um, schedule to come for that if you can, if you want to. Oh, and I just uh, opened a new three-month class. We'll meet four times. Uh, first Saturday in September, October, November, and December. First Saturday of each month. We're going to do a, um, it's about 90 days. But over the period of 90 days, we're going to listen to 108 Dharma talks from one of my teachers named Ajahn Samedo. And he's the kind of highest in the Thai forest lineage, living master. And um, we're gonna listen to 108 of his Dharma talks. And you'll, every day, if you sign up, you'll get an email every day with a new Dharma talk from him. Um, and you're supposed to listen to a Dharma talk every day as a like disciplined in-depth practice. And then we'll get together and we'll do these three hour sessions where we'll talk about some of the themes of his teaching, we'll meditate together. And then everyone that's part of that course will also get two one-on-one -on -one sessions with me, two 30-minute one-on-one. Let's check in about your practice. How's it going? What are you learning? How are you understanding this? So that's open for registration as well. Some practice opportunities this fall. So it's the first Saturday of each month. Yeah. And online only. I'm not going to do it in person. So even if you're local, those Saturdays will be on Zoom. Just in case I'm on vacation, I can. <laughs> planning, I'm planning on going to Thailand, so I'll do the class from Thailand in December, maybe. We'll see. Okay. Many merit that is developed through our 
practice and discussion of the Buddha's Dharma be shared outward in all directions. May each one of us get as free as possible. And together, may we create a positive change on this planet. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. This is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream and Refuge Recovery. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes.